Is it about the weather? A weekly podcast where we explore the many ways in which weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about my watch. And you're just going to have to wait and see what in the world that has to do with the weather. But I promise you it does. I swear. Well, we'll at least make the link anyways. And no, it's not because it can tell the temperature. None of that. Nothing that's a little more... Uh, nuanced than that, yet interesting at the same time, hopefully. But before we jump into the main topic, as always, let's do a check on things about weather and some other weather-related items. I don't know about you this week. My my week's been weather-weird, if you will. And you know, I knew it was going to be one of those weeks when I looked at, you know, like I went to weather.gov and I looked at the maps for the week ahead. And where I was, there was just green blobs every single day. You know, not definitive things, no frontal boundaries, no clear delineations of weather coming and going, but just green blobs. And you know, if you go to another site, you know, it would show you a 50% chance of rain every day, 50%, 50%, or something in that area. And there's nothing to me more annoying than that kind of forecast, because you know what's going on. It's just summertime, hit and miss. You know, you're in the setup, and that's what I watched happen this week. I was trying to plan to do a couple bike rides, even a hike. And every time, the weather was like right there. And so sometimes the weather would really cooperate and stay right there. But you didn't know it was going to stay right there. You thought, well, maybe it's going to drift a little. Because other times other weather in the area was drifting and it was really just annoying and so today even today when I was going to get a final ride in before I pack things up and head on out nope wasn't going to be rain came in and stayed wasn't supposed to that time it was really not it was supposed to end a little earlier but we adjust don't we I enjoyed the rain some good thunderstorms some nice downpours something I always enjoy can be at times a little difficult to plan around. But alas, next week I'm sure there'll be no rain and I'll be wishing there was some. You know, a couple weeks ago I brought up Ted Fujita. Now we were talking about him in the context of airplanes and about airplane safety and his discoveries of downdrafts and what we've learned. And I also mentioned at that time that there had been a special on PBS about him is the show is American Experience I think and it's not one I was familiar with but I kind of dug it up found it online and for those of you who support in any way your local public broadcasting system channel you know they have different fundraising throughout the year you usually get access to their online streaming some of the stuff's readily available so I'm not sure which of these things it falls into if it's the you have to be a subscriber or a supporter or if it's just readily available but I highly recommend it it was a good uh, special about him it was focused on tornadoes like I, I think I mentioned it you know the title suggested that but it did cover uh, the topic we talked about and it was an interesting perspective. I wasn't really sure. You know, a lot of times you get those things and, you know, maybe you just don't follow it. But it was a, an interesting human story as well. So I highly recommend it. Maybe something to go check out. You know, my last thing. I'm going to get on my soapbox. You guys know I like to do this every so often. When people just seem dumb when it comes to weather. Like when I'm outside 
and I'm going to go, for example, today. I was going to go outside, knew it was raining, knew there was a chance of thunderstorms, had a sense of what the risk was, but at least I knew that going in, and I, I knew what was going on around me. But recently, and I, I just don't understand it, went to do it, and it was it was one, you know, I'd mentioned the, the weekend where I had done a little bit of storm chasing, if you will. But I came back the next day, and there were some storms coming in where, where I'm living. And so I actually went out to watch them. So I'm out on the kind of this balcony patio area that is the upper floor of the building where, you know, there's also like you know, places for people to grill and tables to sit out at. And, you know, with COVID going on, that there's tends to be not as many people out there currently, but there are a couple of families that are up there quite often. It's great for them, right? They've got kids. Kids are getting kind of antsy being in an apartment all the time. I get it. But it wasn't a new forecast that it was a good chance of rain in the afternoon. It had been forecasted for a few days. And I'm always amazed when, you know, I'm looking at this table, you know, a couple of adults, maybe three or four adults, a couple groups of kids. So you're dealing with kids already, fairly young, and the storms are obviously coming in. I mean, all you got to do is look you know, and just open your eyes. And they're bringing food out like they're going to sit down and have a picnic. Okay, it's fine. It's your choice. They're willing to do that. You know, what am I going to say? But I'm watching them. It's like, and, I, and it hits me. They've all four of them have phones, three or four, whatever it was. And even there was another person out on the deck who was kind of talking to the kids and talking about how he's going to make it windy and stuff, and you know, was doing stuff. And the kids were all having fun. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, most people know that these types of winds really only come with storms. So what are you people doing? I mean, I'm even me. I'm under the like the awning, because I know what's coming. And they're just sitting there, unpacking the food. It, was, it wasn't like they were finishing up. They were unpacking the food. And then the next thing you know, the storms come in, the kids are screaming and crying and all this stuff. I'm like, didn't you even look at your phone today? You would have known that the last place you should have been planning to be this evening was out on the deck if you were planning to try to keep dry that is i it just this this times baffles me all this great technology we have available to us and people still do that well maybe someday they'll learn maybe they won't i mean i guess we all do those things from time to time maybe i shouldn't be so critical but it seemed to me they could have avoided getting drenched and it was a soaker <laughs> definitely a soaker had they spent a few minutes planning ahead. All right. Well, soapbox put away. Time to get on to the main topic. So why are we talking about my watch? Why in the world on a weather-related podcast are we talking about my watch? And as I said, those of you who know me, I've mentioned before, and this is not my first watch, that it has the ability to measure temperature, the ability to measure pressure so is that what we're talking about well maybe but not really we're, we're talking about something in my watch that's been driving me crazy lately it's been acting funny 
and I had no real clue as to what was driving the specific problem, but I didn't know how weather was related to it. And so I thought I'd share that with you guys and, and talk about how measuring weather is important sometimes in other ways. You know, of course, it's all the techie angles and the stuff we always hit with me. But when weather and tech gets, you know, muddled together, of course I'm going to get into the middle of it. So, the real thing I was trying to measure, or that my watch has not been doing properly lately, is altitude. And this all started, I don't know, probably a little over a month, maybe a month and a half ago, went out for a bike ride. And, you know, I get back and, you know, I'm looking at the, the data for the ride, and it showed that the starting altitude was like 400 feet and it finished at about 40 feet let's say I don't remember the exact numbers but it was something along those lines but the reality is it should have been either 400 and 400 or 40 and 40 and no I wasn't missing a digit let's say it's 450 just so we you know we we don't think that I've dismissed a zero somewhere because you could see it on the plot very different altitude starting, very different altitude finishing, yet I started at exactly the same spot where my car was unless I'm in some sort of parallel universe where the elevation of the earth is slightly askew. But I don't think that's really the case. I don't remember going through any wormholes when I was driving or feeling I like I lost time or anything. So it got me, you, you have the ability to go in and my watch has the ability to go in and get altitude updated. You can calibrate it a couple of ways. So, you know, maybe it was just a calibration issue. Calibrate it two ways. One is to just enter a number, right? If you know precisely the elevation yet, you can type that in. Or you can let GPS do it. So I tried calibrating it, yet again and again, things were, you know, I would go to, you know, a certain location and it was working sometimes the the values seem right and then other times completely wrong but why 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 might that be and again what does altitude have to do with weather well it's, it's really simple it all has to do with the primary way around the globe in which we calculate elevation when we're particularly when we're not on the surface of the planet or when elevation is changing right so we have all sorts of maps clearly right that tell us what the elevation is at any any given point and you know some countries or some areas may have a more detailed map than others but we generally have that information available to us so you know maps are always a good starting point and you heard me mention GPS you know, with all these satellites in the air now can't we use that well you can you can GPS, and in, in you may anybody who uses it kind of knows this, but maybe if you're not familiar, to to get your position on a 2D plane, so on a on a set surface, you need three satellites because you've got to be able to track your movement and to triangulate. And you've heard that term, and that's kind of where it comes from. The, to triangulate a position, you need three to one. Okay, to find you, I've got to kind of be able to look at you on both axes. You know, whether you're moving X or Y. And to do that, I need a third satellite so that I can pinpoint your location. 
But to add elevation in the mix, it, it's always best to think of it for the, the number of dimensions you need to go plus one. So when we're measuring in two-dimensional space, we need three satellites. When we're measuring in three-dimensional space, so when we're going up and down and adding that into the mix, I gotta have four satellites. And yeah, there's a fair amount of GPS satellites up there, and usually you can get a fix if you've got clear enough location, but it gets tricky. It's already hard enough to kind of do you in a 3D plan, but it gets even more difficult to go up and down because the sensitivity up of the up and down is a bit more tricky. And we've also got a thing with GPS, and, and anybody who's used it before knows. It's not like it's pinpointing you to, you know, a foot or two away. In the old days it was because they intentionally made the satellites miss, but there's enough delays in the signals bouncing back and forth to you and to the you know from the satellites and anytime you know you're you've got trees around or buildings around or anything that might block the signal at all all that kind of messes with it so they tell you realistically to expect anywhere from a 25 to 50 foot variance and you know if any of you've ever loaded you can you can load an app on your smartphone that gives you precise coordinates yeah you can pull it off a mapping program but you can get an app specifically that tells you where you are and if you ever look at it most of them will have an accuracy measure it'll say within so many feet right it'll tell you how accurate it is and when you're traveling it you know on a map at 60 miles an hour as long as you're within a few feet either way it's it's usually okay so it's not something to worry about and over time we've also tried other things I mean it's obvious I mean, one that comes to mind is radars or like radar detectors I mean, it's how police know how fast you're going right so clearly they need to have an ability to precisely pinpoint your position and they're fairly accurate when you're close further away you've got challenges but more or less you can use radar whether you're at, you know at ground level or above ground to get a good gauge of your position But it's not very convenient for everybody to carry radar around, is it? Well, I mean, I'm not going to have... Well, maybe someday I'll have that on my watch. I don't know. And in the past, you know, it was even like World War II, there was attempts done with sonic waves. And not much different than radar. It's a way to measure distance. And it was pretty effective. But there's one that we've settled on. And one that's used... You know, we've been talking about aviation on a few different episodes consistently in aviation but it's also the one primarily used by most watches that tell you your elevation so the altimeter if you will is using barometric pressure so my watch has pressure measurement mixed in just like most of our smartphones do actually and it's in measuring air pressure, so in measuring a fundamental element of weather, that you actually get your altitude. So what was going on? It, it's pretty simple. I mean, I have a little port on the side of my watch. And in that port is a sensor that has a, a good sense of how much atmospheric pressure there is. And so, I mean, the best way to think of it, and, and you, maybe you've heard different terms over time, inches of mercury is a, a, a 
number that's used, and actually that one still is used in aviation. It's not the standard units, but it, it has to do really with a column of mercury and how much pressure it's exerting. All right, But when we're measuring pressure, that's really what we're doing. We're looking up in the atmosphere and saying, for my spot, how much does the column of air above me weigh? And inside my watch, or inside any altimeter that uses this type of technology, there's some disk that can compress or expand. So as the weather gets higher pressure, it pushes it down in little gears in, in a analog type system, not a digital system. We'll turn and the knob will turn and it'll tell you what your altitude is. It'll change it. And vice versa, when the pressure lowers, those discs expand instead of being compressed and those gears rotate the other way. And again, or, or we imitate that in, in a digital sense. Now, you may have also heard of millibars of pressure or hectopascals. They're essentially the same thing. These are the standard units and they're used more commonly in the metric system, but they become more commonplace in the U.S. and, and they tend to be used on weather maps. So maybe you've seen them where you heard about a thousand millibars of pressure or something like that or 980. It really doesn't matter. But the long and short of it is for each one of these little millibars it's equivalent to about 8.3 meters roughly in that range and 27 or so feet. So just one of those. So if you go from 1,000 millibars to 1,001 it's that much elevation change, or so it's thinking. So when you think about weather moving around, right, and let's say you go from a nice high-pressure day to a, a front moving through and a low-pressure system moving in, you, know, you may change 20 millibars. Well, you start doing the math on that, and you could have stayed in the building you're in, and the weather could have changed that much, and you start to realize, oh, well, that's not good. Is that what's going on? You know, is it weather changes that are driving on that given day, as an example, the pressure to be off because what it was calibrated to was a specific pressure and an, and an elevation from a prior point in time. And while that fixed point may be right, and it might even be right using GPS to, to work it out, if the weather's changing, it might be going up and down and driving change. So it's a fairly sensitive measure, and it is relatively easy to track the changes, and it's used by essentially planes all over the world. So you start thinking about that, and you go, huh, pilots use it, getting the height in the plane. Well, it just told me how, you know, weather moving through might change that. So how do the pilots adjust that? Well. Simply they calibrate their their altimeter every time they're coming in, specifically to come in and land. A lot of them do it take off at a given location just to have it updated for the beginning of the flight as well. But what happens at most airports is there's a weather station. <laughs> I mean, that's where a lot of them are around the globe. And that information is usually broadcast. It? it can be a few ways. It can be air traffic control gives it to you. But a lot of them have, it's just, you know, radio frequency that sends out the information. 
and they take that data particularly like I said when they're coming in the land and they say okay my thing says I'm at you know 18,000 feet and I'm gonna adjust that to you know 17,700 or whatever it is based on what the station pressure is where I'm at so you would hope that most pilots would do that most tend to do that but there are cases <laughs> where they haven't done it and I found an article about one where a pilot didn't adjust or used an airport on the way close to where he was going but he was go going to a coastal area where pressures can be very different in the in this vicinity and he bounced the plane off the ocean now it does appear he survives a smaller plane but it stresses the importance because basically they were low you know he had a passenger with him it may have been a I, I didn't get for sure on this in the story but somebody sitting next to him so I'm not sure if it was another pilot or truly just a very small plane and his passenger happened to be in the opposing seat but they came through some low clouds and when they came out of the clouds they were essentially on the ocean cartwheeled the plane into the ocean not a good thing not something you're looking to do but it does happen and that's why it's so important not important at 36,000 feet or whatever cruising altitude is to be off 100 feet here or there because air traffic control knows enough that as they're working with planes that that level of sensitivity as you know planes are moving to through different weather regimes they've just got to be close close enough it's when landing comes into place that it really matters so what about my watch, right? Is it working properly? No, no, that that wasn't the problem. It appears to be trickier than that because, you know, most of the times when I'm going on these rides, I'm usually going with somebody or I also do track it on my phone. And, and again, the pressure on my phone, I've watched it. it, it it's not always 100% accurate, but it holds a pattern. So if I generally start around a certain level and come back to the same point, it, it knows how to adjust for that. And other people's, watches or you know measuring devices were showing a symmetric track if you will of elevation changes so either mine is just wacky and I've got to accept that the fact that it's being overly sensitive to changes in the weather even though I didn't you know there are times when it clearly hasn't changed that much or there's something else going on but the long and the short of it is if I didn't know what might be driving some of these things and if I wasn't comparing with someone else I probably wouldn't care but you know if my watch was close enough to the standard levels I probably also wouldn't care in the meantime it's going to drive me crazy but for me to get the forecast right on my watch of elevation it needs to be able to understand the forecast for pressure to some extent so maybe it won't ever be right. And maybe I'm expecting something that's just plain impossible. We'll see. i got to get in touch with Garmin Technical Support and see what they tell me. Just hope it's something that doesn't drive me crazy. Those are the little things that tend to drive me nuts. Because I want things to be the way they, I think they should be. <laughs> Especially if everybody else's is working right. Alright. An interesting side note, by the way. Side note on this. 
is for all this up, you know, I, I talked about the column of air essentially at the top of the atmosphere, you know, tens of thousands of feet, if you will, because um, most of the pressure is in the bottom part of the atmosphere. But did you know that you only have to go 10 meters down in the ocean? So, you know, 35 feet or so, a little less than that. And when you do that, you equal the equivalent pressure of all the air that was above the same spot. So just keep that in mind. When they, they, now you'll understand when divers deal with weird pressure sicknesses when they come up from significantly larger depths of what might be going on. Decompressing, you know, after they, their body has been pushed so hard. It's a bit tricky. Got to be safe with that. You know, I also brought up, it reminded me when I was thinking about putting this episode together, was talking about the gaps of airplanes missing and I saw an interesting story this week about satellites you know we're talking about how that helps complement satellites but a new set of satellites there's a company I think I may have mentioned them on a past episode called Spire I know I mentioned it in the class I taught when I was ta teaching radar and satellite meteorology and they launch satellites that aren't specifically designed to track weather but they're tiny little things about the size of a loaf of bread and they go up in the atmosphere and kind of like we've talked about with some other newer technologies the purpose isn't necessarily to track weather but the type of information they are tracking can tell us a lot about weather components and so it's possible that these little satellites and they've signed a contract I think with both um, the European group and, and one here in America that does the modeling to start ingesting this data so maybe that's a way if, if planes don't get back to normal soon that we can start looking for alternative ways to get fill that data void. But as I mentioned, it's not a direct measurement. It is closer than some of our standard satellites in terms of its low Earth orbit. But it's still, still an indirect measurement, if you will. So we'll see if they help. I'll put a link about that in the show notes if you're interested in, in looking at it. You can go take a look. All right. Well, it's time to let you guys go. As always, feel free to reach out to me. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? If you have thoughts or ideas or just any sort of comments, don't ever hesitate. Questions anytime. Be glad to answer those. Or just interact. Had some interesting conversations with you listeners over the years, so always enjoy that. But for now, you can find us, of course, on Twitter as well. What is it about the weather? It's W-I-I-A-T-W. What is it about the weather? On Twitter. Or you can catch me, Mark underscore Jelinek. That's J-E-L-I-N-E-K. On Twitter as well. So until next time, may your weather be interesting and enjoyable. And as always, think about it from a different light. Maybe think about the weather when you're not thinking about the weather. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. Thank you.